big fan and I think line up symmetrically. When things line up symmetrically, it makes uh, it just makes for a beautiful existence, right? Not to get too meta here on you on a Wednesday afternoon, but I want to rewind exactly a week ago from today. One week ago on a Wednesday, right here on the Sam Avila Show, we were coming off of a UNC victory over Miami where Andrew Playtech put away a buzzer beater with two and a half seconds left. Carolina got the win. An ugly win, but a win nonetheless. And I came up here and I said, the story of this game isn't going to be written until Saturday. This most recent Saturday where Carolina was supposed to be playing Clemson. And I said, if Clemson, or if, excuse me, if, Cle- if Carolina comes out and they win this game against Clemson, if Carolina can come out and continue to just find a way to win at the end of this game, then I will look back on the Miami game and throw some love and throw some respect. Because we now, a week ago, a week away from it, look back and Carolina finding a way to win at the end with Andrew Playtech one week ago against a bad Miami basketball team. We can now evaluate that as a scrappy effort by a team that simply found a way to win the game at the end. We didn't get the game this past Saturday against Clemson. It was postponed because of COVID reasons, but Carolina in action last night in a game that was neck and neck from wire to wire. Carolina pulls away with a minute and a half left. We finally got some gl- some glimpses of... Whew, I got to gear myself up to say this because Carolina fans, you know, it, it pains me a little. A piece of my heart breaks off and dies every single time I talk positively about Carolina, but I'm here doing it for you. We got some glimpses of true Carolina basketball last night. Ball movement. Great, great job there at the end. Garrison Brooks finding Leaky Black, cutting through the back door, puts Carolina up. Minute and a half left. They pull ahead. They ultimately win. Another example, back-to-back games now, back-to-back games now, examples of Carolina simply finding a way to win. Is this the most talented team that Carolina's ever had? No, probably not. Not necessarily, at least not across the board. Maybe a couple pieces in there that could blossom into that. Is this the most experienced Carolina team that you've seen in quite some time? No, not at all. Backcourt is young, and you're starting to see the impact of these guys not necessarily having a true offseason or a true first semester on campus as a part of that basketball program, right? No exhibition games, no lengthy non-conference season. These freshmen are still a work in progress. But damn if Carolina didn't just find a way to win that game last night. So we're going to talk some UNC basketball here in just a second on the positive side of things. And then on the negative side of things, uh, Duke basketball. We haven't talked about it a whole heck of a lot because it hasn't really been very interesting. And last night was just another example of uh, what a horrible, horrendous, horrific Duke basketball season that we are in the midst of right now. Happy hump day to all of you out there. Welcome into the Sam Avalis show. I am the man himself, Sam Avalis. Happy to have you guys here hanging out with me this afternoon. Von Casey is going to be here in the very next segment. Von will be here the rest of the day. 
Uh, he will be here some tomorrow and a little bit on Friday as well. We've got a lot of fun stuff we're going to get to. We're going to talk a lot of Panthers today with Vaughn. Uh, we're probably going to get back into a little bit of Philadelphia Eagle stuff. We may talk a little bit of NBA, a sprinkle of Kyrie, a sprinkle of James Harden, who has all but given up on his team. I've got a couple of... I guess maybe not cultural things that I want to talk about with Vaughn, but like Vaughn, everybody needs this in their life. You always need somebody who keeps you young in your life. And like, I I mean, I can still say that I'm fairly young. I'm 27 years old. I'm not that old, but Vaughn's like five or six years younger than me. So Vaughn keeps me young. He helps keep me hip with what the youths are doing these days. (laughs) I came across two different things on social media last night uh, that made me scratch my head, and I need to know if they are cool or if they are culturally acceptable or not. So we're going to get to both of those things with Vaughn today. But fun show coming up. Stick around for that. Um, What else do I want to get to? Oh, I wanted to go ahead and plug this off the top of the show, too. Jonathan Alexander from the Charlotte Observer. Haven't talked to him in about a month and a half since the holidays and everything. Jonathan's going to join us on tomorrow's show. Jonathan Alexander covers the Carolina Panthers for the Charlotte Observer. Going to join us on tomorrow's show. Going to be a fun conversation with him. Wrap up the season. A lot of moving pieces going on in Carolina this offseason. Right? Need a new general manager. They need a new offensive coordinator. What happens with Teddy Bridgewater? Do they keep him around? Jonathan's going to fill us in, give us the latest on the Carolina Panthers. So make sure that you are here for that coming up on tomorrow's show. As always, today's show being brought to you by our beloved Toyota of New Bern. I'm going to continue to plug this while it's going on right now. You know all about the great stuff that Toyota always has, right? The new pre-owned vehicles, the great service center, collision center, literally anything car-related. Even if you're not in the market for buying a new car, if you just need your car serviced, even if you don't have a Toyota, you can take it out to Toyota of New Bern. But what they've got going on this month, well, Toyota of New Bern needs your help. And they need your little artist help, too. That's right. This month, Toyota of New Bern needs you to help them create and color their next month Yoda Bears. The winner of this contest will not only win a $50 gift card to Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown New Bern, your bear, if you win this contest, will become the featured February mascot for Toyota of New Bern. How cool would that be? You see the stuff on social media, you're watching maybe a television ad, and you look up and you say, hey, that that looks like the bear that I drew for Toyota of New Bern. That could be you. You could be featured in next month's February Yoda Bear Features. Three different ways to get a copy of your Yoda Bear picture to color in today. Number one, you can head to their website, toyotaofnewburn.com slash yodacoloringcontest.com. I'll even make it easier. Just go to toyotaofnewburn.com. There's a slider there that pops up. and just click on it. It'll take you right there. You can print off your picture right from their website. Number two, you can stop by Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown Newburn. They will have copies inside the store for you. Number three, Toyota can provide copies for you right at the dealership for you as well. Once you're finished with your masterpiece, the directions for submission are at the bottom of each and every single coloring page. So just head out to Toyota of New Bern, uh, get the info, get the directions. Hey, while you're there, you can pick up your coloring sheet. You can shop around for a new or pre-owned vehicle. 0% APR financing going on right now here to kick off 2021. Zero payments until spring. You want to get on those Toyota vehicles. I always tell you guys... um, because it's, look, match made in heaven, Sam Avalis show and Toyota of Newburn. I am a proud Toyota owner. 
I've got the Toyota Tacoma. I love my Toyota Tacoma, but here's the coolest part about having a Toyota Tacoma in my eyes is I already know. I'm not going to have to worry about this for like another 15 or 20 years probably. My truck's probably got 150K on it. I've had it for 11 years. Runs like a dream. Probably don't need to worry about getting a new vehicle for a long time. I always tell people I'm going to run this thing till the wheels fall off. But I already know what my next vehicle is going to be. Do you want to take a guess? It's going to be a Toyota Tacoma. Most reliable vehicle on the market. Head out to Toyota of New Bern today. Proud sponsors of us right here on the Sam Avalis Show. I give Carolina some love here to open up the show. I'm going to go ahead and just wrap up on them before we briefly touch on Duke and the travesty that this season has become for the Blue Devils. Carolina moves to 8-4 and four last night, getting an 81-75 to 75 win over the Syracuse Orange. Garrison Brooks had a double-double. Armando Baycott had a double-double. Uh, gosh, even Dayron Sharp put in a pretty solid game for the Carolina Tar Heels coming off the bench last night. Eight points for the former South Central product. Uh, four rebounds, two assists for Dayron Sharp as well. A little afternoon coffee here. Um, I said earlier, I got glimpses of Carolina basketball last night. What is Carolina basketball? Well, it's just some of the most beautiful ball movement that you'll ever see. It is. Even if even if you hate to watch it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I hate watch Carolina. I do. I'll just admit that to you. <laughs> but sometimes you just watch it and your jaw drops a little bit and you just say, damn. You say, well, that's what happens when Roy Williams has enough time to mold a team. That's what happens when Roy Williams has enough time to mold a team. There were moments... This year where we were worried, I mean, even up to a week ago, we were sitting here one week ago and I was saying, hey, is is having to rely on a buzzer beater from Playtech over Miami to get a win over Miami? Is that going to be, is that a signal of a bad basketball team? Is that a signal of a bad basketball team? And uh, I can, I'm speaking on this personally as a fan of a bad basketball team who was obliterated by Miami over the weekend, my NC State Wolfpack, who have a game tonight. We'll get to that a little bit later. Carolina's coming together. Roy Williams talked about this in his post-game press conference last night that it is so important to remember when we're talking about these teams. And I was glad to hear him say this because it was almost a bit of a reality check for myself. It was so important to remember with some of these teams – that they didn't have their normal offseason, right? I mean, it's, that's obvious. Don't really need to address that. But it's something that when we're hyperanalyzing or criticizing, and I see you Carolina fans online, you get big mad during the games. You're happy afterwards, but you're mad during the games. It's important to recognize and understand that sometimes on a team where you are relying on youth to set the offense in motion, And you saw last night when Carolina got touches into the big men, when they got the ball into the hands of Baycott, when they got the ball into the hands of Brooks, almost forcing the issue after how quiet Brooks, Baycott, and even Sharp were a week ago against Miami. You saw that when you forced the issue there. That is the way that Carolina's offense ultimately needs to work. Ultimately needs to work with those guys on the block running off of them. Not that R.J. Davis can't come along. Not that uh, Caleb Love, who I thought outside of just not being able to hit the broadside of a barn shooting the ball last night, played a pretty good basketball game. Only two turnovers for the freshman. If he's going to go two for ten, I think he went like one for seven the last time out. If he's going to do that, maybe quit shooting a little bit more, but the only way you're going to build confidence is continue to shoot. 
you can't put too much pressure in the hands of those guys to you can ask them to initiate the offense. They haven't got gotten quite to the point. They have not quite arrived to the point. Those freshman guards to the point where they can drive the offense. It still needs to work from the inside out a little bit. Carolina got back to a little bit of that last night. Syracuse is a good basketball team. Syracuse is a good basketball team. And last night was the first time I'd seen them. I said on yesterday's show, I'm assuming they're long. They play that 2-3 zone, and Jim Beheim just recruits dudes who are six foot eight and have a wingspan double that and puts them all along the baseline. I said, Carolina's really going to have to rely on their bigs tonight to overcome that because as big as Syracuse may be, there still should not be a better front court in ACC, in the ACC, than UNC's basketball team. So, heck of a job last night uh, from Carolina. The starters played excellent. Uh, Baycott and Brooks were the stars of the night. It's amazing how Leaky Black can go from almost having a triple-double a week ago and having probably his best performance of his collegiate career to being an afterthought in last night's game. If there was... Man, I'm telling you, if Leakey can bring it every single night like he brought it last week against Miami, then I'm going to finally realize that Carolina might actually be back to being dangerous Carolina that we are accustomed to. But right now, I think this team has the potential to hang with anybody on the court any given night. Very easily. I don't know who their next game is. I can look that up in a minute. Uh, Very easily, I could look at Carolina and, and watch them play their next game, and they lay an egg. And I wouldn't be shocked. But I think you are starting to see more consistently the potential that this team has. And you can't say enough about a team just being able to close out another team at the end of the game. Especially on your home court. But being able to close out a team the way they did against Syracuse in the last minute and a half last night. So big win uh, for the Heels. I mentioned the starters. Carolina off the bench last night. How many bench points did they end up getting? Let me see if I can do some quick math in my head here. 29. 29 bench points for the UNC Tar Heels last night. Uh, R.J. Davis really provided most of that spark, but Playtech is just as consistent, six or seven. Uh, Dayron Sharper mentioned he came in with eight. There's still room for growth on this Carolina team. If you get a guy like Walker Kessler, who at times this season we have thought may actually be one of the more reliable scorers on this team, if you can get more more steady contributions from those kind of guys, Carolina, I think, is rounding into form. You always know when you have a Roy Williams team, eventually everything's going to start to click. Sometimes that happens in November. Sometimes it happens in February. Sometimes it happens in January. Sometimes it doesn't happen until March. Those gears are starting to pick up on each other. Carolina's starting to roll. I'm going to uh, oh, I click the wrong button here. I'll see if I can find when UNC's next game is. So like I said, 8-4 and four, um, on the season now, 3-2 and two in conference play. Sixth in the ACC is what that is good for right now. Next game coming up. Oh, actually, this weekend. This weekend. How about that? Saturday at noon against Florida State. Florida State, number 25 in the country. Uh, Or at least they were, I guess, until the most recent polls came out yesterday. Florida State going to be in a big game versus NC State tonight. Uh, Let's see. Okay, yeah, Florida State just dropped out of the polls because they lost to Clemson. Um, Is this true? Has Florida State not played a game since... December? I gotta look at this. How about that? Uh, Florida State has not played a basketball game since Tuesday, December 29th. So maybe that's why they've dropped out of the top 25. Wow. That uh, that actually makes tonight's game versus NC State a bit more interesting. 
Florida State legitimately hasn't played a game in over two and a half weeks. Something to keep in mind, but that is UNC's uh, next opponent. I have a feeling, kind of on name brand alone, Carolina's going to make a push and get back into the top 25 uh, this upcoming week when the new polls come out next Monday. Let's get to Duke here real briefly. Five and three now on the season after dropping to the number 20th ranked Virginia Tech Hokies last night. 74-67 was the final. Kind of a tough game for me to analyze and tell you how I feel about Duke. Number one, because I didn't watch a whole heck of a lot of it. Um, Doing some other stuff. I was more interested in watching Carolina later. But Virginia Tech is a good basketball team. Virginia Tech is a good basketball team. I cannot remember the name of the beat reporter that I follow on Twitter for Virginia Tech. But he tweeted something out about last night how when Virginia Tech got Mike Young as their new head coach. Mike Young going into his second year now at Virginia Tech. Um... I know last year, the first time, I remember the last time, last year when I watched Virginia Tech for the first time, I was shocked, blown away to not see Buzz Williams on the sideline. Because he took a, uh, another job somewhere else. I can't even remember where Buzz Williams is now. Jumped to greener pastures elsewhere. And I was like, who's this Mike Young guy? Well, last night I was reading on Twitter and this beat reporter said he remembers when Mike Young was hired. He felt like, he felt like, Virginia Tech just hired their Frank Beamer of basketball. He felt like this was the guy who's going to be steering the ship for the next 25, 30 years. And in what, a season and a half? A season and a really super asterisk season and off season because of the COVID stuff, Mike Young has this Virginia Tech team playing really well. But the story here isn't so much Virginia Tech, it's Duke. And like I said, I didn't watch a whole lot of this game last night, and I saw some of the quotes from Mike Krzyzewski after the game, and he was alluding to the youth on this team and the inexperience and some of the weight that I just took off of Carolina's shoulders, some of the pressures I just took off of Carolina's shoulders because of the lack of any kind of actual offseason or any kind of non-conference or any kind of exhibition or scrimmages, all these things that these younger players in college basketball had stripped from them. Duke should be afforded some of that. But I think the larger issue here is that this was almost a ticking time bomb to me ever since Mike Krzyzewski switched away from building a program year after year at Duke. And when I say year after year, I just almost mean every four years, right? And when he when he went away, excuse me, got to close the ad in the background of the computer there. When he went away from... Typical Duke basketball, where it was every single year you watch Duke and it's like, I'm so sick of seeing these same three or four guys on this team every single year. Duke doesn't have that every any anymore at all. It's been fascinating to me to observe Duke fans. I live with a Duke fan. My, my girlfriend is a Duke fan. Over the years that I have been with her, I have seen her fall out of Duke fandom to the point where this year she just does not even care about Duke basketball. Some of that is because I brought her onto my side of the ship. She's now becoming a little bit of a state fan. I have that negative effect on people. <laughs> she listens to the show, so she'll get a kick out of that. Um, I don't even remember what's. Oh, but but the timeline of her, her and I's relationship has actually been interesting because it has sort of timed up with Duke becoming more heavily invested in recruiting the top guys every single year and rewashing, re-rinsing, recycling that every single year. 
I mean, honestly, the guy with the most seniority and the most leadership and the most experience on this Duke team this year is Jonathan Goldwire. Or is it Jordan Goldwire? He's not even good enough for me to... <laughs> that's mean. It Jordan Goldwire. Okay, I thought I had that wrong. It is Jordan Goldwire. To put in perspective, okay, the guy who is the most senior on this team, the most experienced on this team, he's never been a real offensive player. Don't get me wrong. But he's now the senior that Duke has turned to for any kind of leadership. The guy started, played 32 minutes last night, scored one point. It was a free throw, obviously. And went 0 for 5 from the field. He did have four steals. He did have six assists. But three turnovers. Four fouls. One point. That's your starting point guard. That's the guy that, that and that's the that's the leader on the team. That's the old guy. Carolina fans, you're going to love this, but most college basketball fans love this because if you're not a Duke fan, chances are you fall into the portion of Duke haters. It's a fun team to hate. It's fun to hate Coach K. Right, I always say he kind of looks like Rattata, the uh, the old Pokemon. If any of you guys remember that, kind of got that rat face going on. My dad, I've said this before. My dad always said growing up that uh, he he always called him Cabbage Sniffer. Cabbage Sniffer is what is what Coach K was sometimes referred to in my household because if you look at Mike Trzeszewski, oftentimes it looks like somebody's holding a bowl of cabbage underneath his face and he's being forced to smell it. His nose kind of crinkles up like that. <laughs> If you're a Duke hater, you've got to be loving this because it seems like Duke basketball is slowly starting to die on the vine. At least it's giving us that feel. I mean, you think about last year, and obviously the season was wacky for everyone, but Duke was not a standout team last year. Duke was not an exciting team last year. The guys who were coming back, I mean, I think most specifically Wendell Moore, who was coming back for his second season, has now been relegated to a bench role. Joey Baker, who was supposed to be this offensive juggernaut, relegated to a bench role. 13 minutes, zero points for Joey Baker last night. Didn't even put up a shot. Guy who's supposed to be such a great scorer. Didn't even put up a shot. Remember, he reclassified and he came in with Zion, with Cam Reddish, with R.J. Barrett. The dude reclassified. He was going to be a senior in high school, and they were all going to be freshmen in college. And he said, no, I'm going to go ahead and take the jump. He's been. This is his third season in Duke now. His third season. Third season up there. Played 13 minutes, didn't even put up a shot last night. Somewhere along the line, Mike Strzeski, I mean, I mean I, I, we can pinpoint the moment. You know, this was probably, oh gosh, Jalil Okafor era, maybe. That was about the time that the tide started to turn for Coach K, and he became more and more invested in having these one-and-done type of guys. right? Like the years where Justice Winslow was there. And then it all boiled to a head. It peaked when he had, quite frankly, maybe outside of the Anthony Davis, Boogie Cousins, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist class that John Calipari won a national championship with, outside of that... The best freshman class that we've probably ever seen in college basketball was the one two years ago. Zion, Reddish, and R.J. Barrett. Even then, they didn't win a national championship. Ever since then, it seems like Duke has... Is, Coach K, and I think a lot of Duke fans, fell so enamored with that class. Such a connection with that class. You think about all the coverage that ESPN was giving them. Everywhere you turned around, everybody was talking about Duke and Zion, and for good reason. 
It was appointment television. But ever since then, Duke hasn't been able to reclaim any of that. It's almost as if that draft class was so exciting and so great. That freshman class, excuse me, not that draft class. Even though they all got drafted inside of, like, what, the top eight? Right? Zion won. I think uh, Barrett was three to the Knicks. And if I'm not mistaken, number eight was R.J. Barrett. Or, excuse me, R.J. Barrett, three to the Knicks. Cam Reddish, eight to the Atlanta Hawks. Not the point. Ever since then, Duke hasn't been able to reclaim that. And they left such a beautiful smell as they walked out the door. That everybody that comes in after them, it's just smelled like a stinky turd. And it's the reason, I mean, when's the last time you turned on ESPN and turned on Sports Center, Or you're tuning in to just a random Tuesday night 7 o'clock basketball game. That's not a Duke game. And in the pregame, Duke's not mentioned. Duke's not mentioned. Duke is teetering. Teetering on the edge this year of becoming a uh, highly irrelevant basketball program. By their standards, obviously. By their standards. Name brand alone, there's a chance that they don't even fall out of the top 25. They are 19th uh, in the nation. That was before this loss came last night. But you look at the teams that they've beaten this year. They beat Coppin State. They beat Belmont. That wasn't even like the good Belmont. I think it was Belmont Abbey. Coppin State, Belmont Abbey, and Notre Dame, who's not good this year. A bad Boston College team, a bad Wake Forest team. That's a solid Wake Forest team. Let me not do Steve Forbes like that. But the two teams that they beat inside the ACC, where do they rank in the ACC? 14th and 15th. (laughs) They beat Wake Forest, they beat Notre Dame. Neither one of those teams, I guess Wake's 500 at 3-3, but neither one of those teams even have a conference win. Dude kind of feels like a little bit of a bottom feeder. But the larger point here is that... I think we're seeing the beginning of the end of Duke basketball under Mike Krzyzewski. And if it's Duke basketball without Mike Krzyzewski, is it even Duke basketball? Am I right? Duke's not fun to watch anymore. (laughs) They're not worth it. It's why I literally said I am going to take my attention elsewhere last night for this Duke game. I'll catch you back for the Carolina game for a little while. Duke falls 5-3 now on the year. They will take on Pittsburgh. Uh, coming up, let's see, it looks like that next game is on the 19th. What's the day? Is that next Tuesday? So, yeah, they've got they've got some time off. Uh, I know Jalen Johnson, who was probably the most heralded freshman of this class. I know Jalen Johnson has been dealing with some injuries, played very limited spare minutes last night. Maybe a couple more days will give him a little bit of a chance to get back. He's kind of a walking double-double. I don't. I still don't know how much better he actually makes this Duke team. I mean, he doesn't even make the top ten of best freshmen that they've had over the last six or seven years. Duke's in trouble. Carolina's rounding into form. NC State plays tonight, 6.30, okay? That's going to be going on not long after we get off the air here. ESPN Greenville listeners, I actually think you will miss the last 30 minutes of today's show as we send you out to the pregame show. Uh, again, 107.5 in Greenville. If you're in the New Bern area, you're not going to be able to get it. Uh, I'm sorry, but Greenville listeners, of course, you're home for the Wolfpack right here on 252 ESPN Radio. I am uh, I am reserving all judgment on NC State until tomorrow. And then I'm either going to come in here pumping my fists and screaming loud, or I'll just come in here and be mopey and in tears on a Thursday. One way or the other. 
Uh, but there you go, college basketball roundup from the evening. Carolina looking better, Duke looking worse, NC State still gigantic question mark. ECU fans, I told you I'd start paying more attention to your basketball teams, but I'm going to just be honest with you. There's too much sports right now. There's a little bit too much, right? <laughs> I, I've got a life outside of this. I have other interests, right? I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm one of those athletes who has other interests, and then everybody gets mad. You should only care about football. I care about other things other than sports. So ECU basketball, I'll get around to you guys eventually. Talk to me when, I mean, what? I think the last thing I saw is that ECU, I know the beginning of the year, the hopes were like, maybe this is the year we can make it to the NIT, and it seems like, uh, uh, I don't even know if that's going to happen. Here, All right, you know what? For fairness sake, before we take a break, let's do an update on ECU basketball. Eighth in the American Conference, I'm seeing here. Uh, losers of two straight games. And they play this Saturday against Temple. Standings, what do you want, a record? Uh, they're 7-3. and three. That's actually a pretty good year. It's a good year overall. Uh, since the American Athletic Conference started, just one and three, a single win over two lane. We'll get back around to ECU. No disrespect, I'm just saying. You got to know your audience. If you're an ECU fan and you want ECU talk, I guarantee you, you are pretty familiar with another radio station you can go and get ad nauseum ECU basketball talk. All right, but if you want the other fun stuff, keep it tuned right here. This is the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Von Casey joins me in studio next. This is the Sam Avila Show. Wednesdays with Von Casey. <laughs> I love Wednesdays with Von Casey. Von, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I just think about Kanye got up at the Grammys and said, I inspired me when they asked him who inspired him to make this. <laughs> did he say that? <laughs> he did. See, that's not the Grammy moment I remember for Kanye West. That's the Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, that's, that's that, the more standout one for me. <laughs> that was the VMAs. They actually had oh, security VMA. at the Grammys. Same thing, man. <laughs> only reason I don't say it's the same thing is because that doesn't happen at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Are, uh, are you a Kanye guy? I was a big Kanye guy. Kanye is kind of lost me. <laughs> I'm kind of lost in a lot of Kanye. <laughs> yeah. There's been uh, for multiple reasons, I can imagine. Multiple reasons, but the, what's his. Uh, I was. When the whole thing was going on last week with him uh, about his divorce and everything, one of my friends was like, I'm just. I just know Kim is happy not to have to wear that Hunger Games clothing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. When he started doing that, it was a little lost. The clothing, you're a shoe guy, so I'm not. I'm yeah. Like I'm not into shoes at all, but I know like Yeezys are a popular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like are Yeezys? Do you think? Because I've, I've always seen the clothes and they look stupid as hell. But like wrong? Yeezys are supposed to be sought after, right? Like that's kind of a sick shoe. Uh, sure. I don't have any. You don't have any in, in the collection. I just can't do anything that Kanye's doing right now. <laughs> he's he's off in another galaxy. Never would have thought that Kim Kardashian would have been the sane one Ever. in that relationship. When that right? started, Kinda I was whack. like, look, man, things happen to those players and uh, musicians when they get with the Kardashians, man. <laughs> Well, Von Casey's here hanging out with me. Uh, he'll be here the rest of the day. He'll be here tomorrow. He'll be here for a little bit on Friday as well. Normal routine here with Von. As always, of course, you can follow him on Twitter at V-O-N-K-252. Vonk252. Von Casey, the man, the myth, the legend. I've got two different things I want to get to with you today. Um, 
from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a cultural perspective, but Vaughn and I are just two very different people, and so I like getting his opinions on things. And these are two things that I saw on Twitter last night that I said, i got to ask Vaughn about it because uh, I was a hard no on both of these things. I'm going to do one now. We'll tease the other one for later. The second one involves ESPN analyst and former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky. But the first one uh, is simply regarding a – she's a Cleveland beat reporter who covers the Browns. Okay. Her name's Gabby something. I can't remember her last name. Uh, But anyways, I follow her on Twitter. She's a decent Twitter follow. But she was at the Cleveland Cavaliers game last night. And I noticed she was at the Cleveland Cavaliers game last night because she tweeted that she was at the Cleveland Cavaliers game. And in the tweet, she took a photo of herself in a mirror – in the women's restroom mm-hmm. at the game. You know, posing, mirror selfie, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I'm at the Quicken Loans Arena, whatever, go Caps. Mm-hmm. Harmless enough picture. Except in her in her hand, Vaughn, and I need to know if this is socially acceptable because this was a hard no. It made me throw up a little bit. It was, a, it was one of those, oh, no, honey, what is you doing moments. Okay. She was holding a beer in her hand. A plastic cup, clear cup, with a beer, a full beer in her hand. In she brought it into the bathroom with her. Oh, no, that's... Is that a... That's a hard no, right? That's not cultural. That's just sanitation. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. It, it, unless... Like, you have to be in a very specific circumstance to ever have anything with you in the bathroom. Yes. You have to be in your own house alone and suffering from some type of depression the thing that got me was okay maybe it would be acceptable if she was down to the dregs of that beer like if you know if there were two three ounces of beer left at the bottom of the cup i wouldn't do it myself i would just pound it before i walked into the bathroom Mm -hmm. but i would be like okay you're nasty but I get it. You had just a little bit of beer left. You brought it in there. This was a full beer that looked like maybe a single sip had been taken out of it. <laughs> Where did she put it? Like that's that's a my, no, that's wrong. Yeah, that's that's wrong. It's wrong. It's that's gross, wrong. right? I mean, where did she put it? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I've never done that. I've never done it with a open cup. I may have done it before with a can, mm-hmm. and the move there is you know you hit the urinal, you set it right up on the. You know, right on the, right on the top there. Sick guys. It's still gross. Yeah. It's still gross. That's like, sick. trust me, that was not the first beer that came into the bathroom with yeah. me. You know, that was like the sixth or seventh one, and then you know the judgment's a little bit clouded. Mm-hmm. Bathroom beer in your own home, I can get behind. Like, I will be the first one to tell you, TMI. <laughs> the night's getting started. You got to take a trip to the head. The beer's coming with me. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've never done the shower beer thing before. No, I've never been there. Done, you've never been there? I've this never show. been there. Let me go ahead and tell you. And this is this is to anybody who's never done it. Uh, try the shower beer the shower one weekend. Beer. The shower beer. Just take it. You know, you got the little uh, ledge up where you might keep the bar of soap or something. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the soap. Sit the beer there. It won't get wet. It won't get any water in it. Mm-hmm. Shower beer is the best beer out there. Okay. But bringing an open container, I mean, just a, a typical 12-ounce cup, mm-hmm. and having it exposed to open-air public bathrooms... I gagged in my mouth a little bit. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't. I don't know that movement. I don't, I don't support it. Is either. there anything that you do? I know this is putting you on the spot, mm-hmm. and it might be hard to come up with on the top of your head, but is there anything that you do that you know 
other people might look at and be like, that's kind of gross. Anything that, uh, <laughs> like, like I brought up that, okay, I have brought a can of beer into mm-hmm. a, like a college football bathroom before. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like back in my days at NC State, if it was a tailgate and the only things around is a porta potty, well, the beer in my hand may come with me into the porta potty. Mm-hmm. And that's gross. That's nasty. But I'm willing to admit that. I think the only only thing that comes right off the top of my head would be like long term shoes without socks. Like, oh, I do that too. Like I had to stop doing that. Yeah, committing to wearing in certain shoes, which are usually the worst shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> not putting on socks because there are a pair of shoes I have right now that should be burned. That I barefoot. That, I'm wearing I'm wearing these loafers right now. I wear these loafers like ninety percent of my work days. Mm-hmm. They're comfortable. They slip right on. They look good enough. Uh, I they're probably a year old. I probably didn't start wearing socks with them until about a month ago. Yeah, because I they got to that point mm-hmm. where it's not even that the shoe smells bad. It's that I can have my foot inside of the shoe and I walk into a room and it stinks up the room. Yeah, and you're the first to notice, and you're <laughs> everybody else is really trying to figure out. Why did that happen? You're like, man, good lord, you got sprayed us for mold, you know? Yeah, trying to right, make- like you shouldn't be embarrassed of your foot. Or well, you should if it stinks, but well, yeah, you should have some type of shame about it, but it shouldn't have to come to that. <laughs> should not. So I think, I think should that's not. it. I've stopped now. It's not with that pair of shoes specifically because those are like work shoes. But yeah. After those are done, it it it's time for like healing. I think that's something that you learn as you grow up, that, like, socks exist for a reason. A good reason, too. Because I I think everybody goes through that phase. Because it probably started in, like, high school for me where, you know, I'd, like, you know, I was the, like, douchey 17-year-old who I'd be wearing the boat shoes to school every day. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And every single day it'd be without shoes. And then a couple months go by. And like you said, it's like, it's time to probably throw these things Mm -hmm. into a fire. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So if you're a grown adult and you're not wearing socks with your shoes, if you're driving uh, right now. Yeah, look down. <laughs> See if you remembered socks this morning. If you didn't, you nasty. Don't blush. <laughs> Go ahead, pull over to the side of the road and apologize to everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody has been giving you side eye all day because you might not think your feet stink, but your feet stink and your shoes stink. You know they stink, and everybody hates you for it. <laughs> Everybody at your office hates you for not wearing socks. Especially, Wear socks. Especially at the office. <laughs> Wear socks, and I better not catch you in a public bathroom with an open beer. Mm. Two things we've learned two here. Things. Two things we've learned here on this segment. Uh, national championship ta- game two days ago. I had the take yesterday that Alabama's just ruined football for everybody. And uh, I think I saw something that there's been something like 26 college football playoff games played. Don't quote me on this number. It might be slightly wrong, but something like 26 college football games have been played, and 21 of them have been won by either Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And and Alabama, what, uh, seven championships now for Nick Saban. They've won a championship seven of the last 16 years. How about that? Mm-hmm. Of the other 129 current college football coaches, they combined for six total national championships. Wow. <laughs> what did you think about that game on Monday night? What was your biggest takeaway from Monday evening? Devontae Smith is untouchable, and the four four defense is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the put t- a linebacker on him on that second touchdown. 
<laughs> I saw, you know, uh, you remember um, Andrew Hawkins used to be a wide receiver for the Browns. Mm-hmm. He put on Twitter after that play. He said, he said number twenty two or whatever that guy's number was for Ohio State. He said that guy should just keep jogging right down the tunnel, go straight up to the press box, and smack his defensive coordinator <laughs> for making him do that. <laughs> on, it's not like nobody warned him. Now, if Devontae Smith wouldn't have won the Heisman, and he was just like steadily putting up hundred yard games here and there. All season, okay. Maybe you get caught in the four-four defense, maybe once or twice. Right. <laughs> How is it possible that this man had already at that point had a couple of touchdowns? Right. <laughs> Even came close to a linebacker. The, the, he's incredible. He's really good. He's uh, he's got the skinniest legs I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He's kind of small. Uh, I think we are well past the point of people. Using that to knock him, you came in here and I was asking you, "Hey, Bomb, what do you want to talk about today?" And you talked about you know his draft status, and mm-hmm. I, it's interesting you brought that up. During the game, I tweeted out, "How high can he possibly climb? Uh, how high can he possibly climb in this year's draft?" I don't think there's any chance we see him get up to number one. I don't think anybody's throwing that out there. So number one's Jacksonville, number two's the New York Jets, number three's the Miami Dolphins. That seems like a pretty logical spot. Reunite him with Tua. They don't really have a whole lot of skill position talent there in Miami. Could he go to the New York Jets at number two? Do you think there's a scenario where the Jets say, you know what? And some of this depends on what they're going to do with Sam Darnold. Mm -hmm. But is there a real chance that the Jets say, we're going to forego taking a shot on Justin Fields. We're going to forego taking a shot on that uh, massive Samoan lineman from Oregon. God knows he's good. He's good. (laughs) That dude is a monster. (laughs) Is there any chance you think... Donovan Smith has done enough to where he could even climb so high as to number two. I can't even fathom a world where a wide receiver is taken with the second pick in a draft. I can't, but, man, if somebody would have took Calvin Johnson number two, I wouldn't have been very upset about it. Right. It would have made sense. (laughs) It would have made total sense. And he doesn't have any of the physical attributes of – he just has – it looks like playmaking ability, like – if you get the ball in his hand anywhere on the field, it'll be a play. And there, I don't know a quarterback in the league that's, that's not going to be pitching to his uh, offensive coordinator, to the general manager, hey, I want to throw the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage and gain 70. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could – like, that's one of the things that – some people really hate Sam Darnold and they don't think he has an ounce of talent. Which is ridiculous. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. I think – Darnold is another one of these examples of a quarterback who's never really had the help around him to show that he's worth a darn. Plays for the Jets. Plays for the Jets. Um, I'm trying to think who have been his best receivers. Jamison Crowder. Crowder's a good receiver, but... Uh, I no mean, game breaker. Robbie Anderson was Another there. good receiver. You just need somebody that's going to actually scare a defense. There was that guy who was uh, he was kind of a possession receiver, too. His name escapes me. He had like a spine fracture. Like two or three years ago, I know who you're talking remember about. what I'm talking about? Yeah. He, but he, even he was just like, okay. Sam Darnold's never gotten any help. So let me do that. Let me put you in the shoes of general manager of the New York Jets, mm-hmm. and I tell you, your options this off season are move on from Sam Darnold, bring in Justin Fields, or that offensive lineman. But no Sam Darnold. Let's just say Justin Fields, because I think the consensus, a lot of people think that Justin Fields should be the pick there. Would you rather move on from Darnold, bring in Justin Fields, throw him out there with this abstract cast of characters that they have on offense at the skill position spots, or 
the ride with Sam Darnold a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I think he might have one year left on his deal. It might be one of those put-up-or-shut-up contract kind of years. And you bring him a legitimate weapon who you summed it up perfectly. A guy like Donovan Smith who doesn't have to do a whole lot. You don't have to force the ball to him. Just do what Alabama did where you just put him out in the flats, dump it to him, and watch him work. What I'm what I'm afraid of here is on for the sake of Justin Fields going to the Jets right now is kind of a death sentence. Right. Like Justin Fields is an incredibly good quarterback. He just needs a little bit of time to develop. He's not going to get that getting 2 seconds in the pocket and having to take sacks over and over again on the Jets. So if you're the Jets, yeah, maybe go for Justin Fields. If you're Justin Fields, I don't know if you <laughs> necessarily right? want to go to the Jets. Not even because I think Jacksonville's a more attractive option if for for both quarterbacks. Even though they have the worst record, the quote unquote like you know worst record by one loss. They're both you know terrible teams, but at least there you know that there had been some type of winning in the past since you were alive. Right. You can point to a time a couple of years ago when you were like a sophomore or freshman in in college that you were like, oh, the Jaguars were really good here. That's not the same with the Jets, and there doesn't seem to be anything, any type of building to get better. Like They've been trying to one-hit wonder their way out of this slump for almost 50 years. Like That's not, that's not going to happen. So right. <laughs> maybe it's the time that if I'm the Jets – you go get the game-breaking wide receiver. Or you go get the giant O-tackle. Because everything's a lot better than to build off of if you don't have a quarterback who you're going to actively make worse by having to spend two years trying to break all the habits they learned in the first two years because they didn't have any talent around them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Jets, Jets are in a really tough position. And if Justin Fields turns out to be an amazing player... They can say they missed up on opportunity, but they have to start building somewhere, and I don't know if getting your quarterback hit 50 times a year is the way to do it. That's my concern with Justin Fields is that he goes to New York and they ruin him. Mm-hmm. It's like as, as bad as you might think Sam Darnold is, I don't think Sam Darnold is to the point where he's ruined yet. And, like, like okay, compare him to, gosh, a guy who came out in the same exact class, I think, uh, Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. Josh Rosen is a guy who was completely ruined by the Arizona Cardinals. Mm-hmm. They he they were so bad around him. The offensive line was so bad. He was hit so many times that coming out of Arizona, there was not a scrap of a redeemable quality in Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. And then Miami picked him up, and they were like, yeah. Like this guy is completely destroyed. His his psyche's destroyed. His ego's destroyed. His body's kind of destroyed. He never he he missed like a, it was like a gap year in his development, mm-hmm. and it cost him. Sam Darnold, while certainly has his struggles, still has seemingly some redeemable qualities. You bring in Justin Fields, it feels like you're going to destroy Justin Fields. You Sam could. Darnold, it's like hey, if you hadn't destroyed him four years in. Well, you know what? Maybe this guy's got what it takes to stick around in the long run. Uh, Quincy Inunua is the other wide receiver that, that we couldn't name. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are his three best wide receivers he's dealt with in his whole career. Jamison Crowder, Quincy Inunua, and... Robbie Anderson. And Robbie Anderson. Yeah. 
Give him a real weapon. I'm not real sold on the Justin Fields thing. Um, I can't believe that I even hear people say that they would rather have Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. I have heard that opinion. I do not understand that opinion at all. I think that's a. I think that would have to be on a team by team basis. If you're a team that's like, if if you're one of those teams that, if say he starts to fall, uh, and you can get him, snatch him up, snatch him immediately, yeah, <laughs> right? And put a little, put a little <laughs> bit of pressure under your quarterback to make you know. But I, I don't know about that one. Yeah, that, that, that one's kind of kind of out there and but uh, this is the thing with the draft people often think the draft is kind of a crapshoot and that was my opinion for a while until i start really thinking about it. teams are the crapshoot yes the talent's all there <laughs> the talent's there you're not gonna right. tell me that you can't develop I, I i'm looking right now at josh allen mm-hmm. in the playoffs you had told me that last year i was like in madden and he's he's in playoffs in Madden. No, he is in the real, real life, life NFL playoffs. He's he's both of our Super Bowl champions. We we did he, our brackets last week. We both selected the Bills to win the championship. You can't tell me that player development is not a failing of the organization. Outside of any other circumstances that might come with players, a lot of these players that we are like they're a bust. It, look at the team around them that was probably the bust. Right. So, Justin Fields has the talent to be an all-star NFL quarterback. Where he goes depends on if he will be an all-star NFL quarterback. So if we come to the consensus, uh, like if we're the Jets at number two, take the shot on the game-breaking wide receiver. Why not? Those guys are kind of hard to come by. There aren't many that you can just point to and say, let's let's – Let's go ahead and score another touchdown on this drive. Why not? Let's see. <laughs> There's two on, off the top of my head that are like can't miss to me in this draft. It's Donovan Smith and it's uh, LSU kid uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another really good. It's one. Like bring either one of those guys in, and you know you're feeling like you're stepping out there with the Calvin Ridley, a Justin Jefferson, mm-hmm. one of these guys who from Jump Street can give you a thousand yards. Damn man, I've been right on wide receivers pretty often now. They some of them are looking pretty special. I have one of them on my team. You gotta CD. Yeah, you gotta go get him. One of those guys. If you see him out there, you have to go to go Man. get him. So did Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs both get drafted over CD Lamb? Yes, I think so. Pretty sure it was the third I guy. Think so yeah, he went. He went seventeen to us. And those, those other guys are good. They are. They are. I think Ruggs went first because Ruggs just has ridiculous. <laughs> so Ruggs goes to Oakland. Jerry Judy goes to Denver. The Dallas Cowboys get. C.D. Lamb. Um, the Minnesota Vikings get Justin, Justin Jefferson. Jefferson. The pick after my stupid Philadelphia Eagles draft Jalen Rager. <laughs> and people say that, you know, oh, well, let's fire Doug Peterson. He's clearly the problem. Well, that dumbass Howie Roseman gets out of there, general manager. I vented a lot about the Eagles yesterday. We're probably gonna, I'm probably going to let you tee off on my Eagles okay. coming up at some point in the 5 o'clock hour. <laughs> Von Casey hanging out with me here this afternoon. This is the Sam Avalis Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Coming up tonight. Microphone's a little hot. (laughs) Coming up tonight right here on 252 ESPN Radio. In fact, I think ESPN Greenville listeners, I don't know for a fact, but you might be getting 30 minutes of the show cut off tonight. The NC State Wolfpack going to be in action at 6.30. Taking on the Florida State Seminoles. 6.30 6.30 first tip pregame coverage. Either starts at 5.30 or 6. 
They don't tell me anything around here. I just make stuff up in my head. Uh, good. So the Wolfpack going on the road. They are a four-and-a-half-point underdog. However, as we found out earlier in the show, I love when I find things out during the show, Florida State has not played a basketball game since December 29th. They have had a couple of contests postponed on them for COVID reasons. So the Wolfpack going to be in action tomorrow. Getting ready to talk some Carolina Panthers here in just a second. But I want to remind you out there, Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer, the beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer of the Carolina Panthers. It's been about a month or two since we've checked in with him. So now that the season has wound down, we're heading into the offseason. Lots of questions circulating the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Jonathan's going to join us tomorrow, so make sure you'll be here for that. Uh, he's going to join us right at 5 o'clock tomorrow. So if you're in your car right now and you're listening to this, I'm guessing that's your routine, is you're one of the 5 o'clockers. So just do the same thing tomorrow, and we'll get, a, uh, we'll get some more educated insight into the Carolina Panthers instead of me just blabbering. This is the Sam Avila Show. Speaking of blabbering... Von Casey's hanging out with me here today. Von, I mentioned that there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions circulating the Carolina Panthers this offseason. We don't know if they're sick of Teddy Bridgewater. I know a lot of fans I have talked to are kind of sick of Teddy Bridgewater. I have Seems to be um, a sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> the new it's it's a random Reddit user that this comes from. It was relayed to me by a friend of mine. But the new nickname that he has been given is, among tight Panthers internet circles, is no longer Teddy Bridgewater, but Teddy Asswater. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's about right, Carolina Panthers. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's about right up the valley. That's right up there. They, uh, they fired general manager Marty Herney. That's the second time that Marty Herney's been fired from the Carolina Panthers. I think we <laughs> certainly hope they don't make that mistake again. Uh, didn't work the first time. Don't know why we thought it would work the second time. But the, I think the biggest thing that's at the forefront of a lot of Panthers' concerns, or Panthers fans' concerns, is what's going to happen with the offensive coordinator position. Uh-huh. Joe Brady has interviewed for the Falcons' job. He has interviewed for the Jets' job. He has also interviewed for the Houston Texans' job. Surprisingly, no coaches, no new coaches have been hired yet in the NFL. I think it's only a matter of time. Um, in fact, somebody could have been hired... As we're literally recording this segment. Yeah. That's the way the NFL works. I want to ask you about Joe Brady specifically. And if you are going to potentially harbor any ill will towards Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. And the reason I I ask that is because it seems like Joe Brady is going to end up potentially, how do I say this nicely, screwing the Carolina Panthers. So think about it like this. Joe Brady leaves for, let's just say, Atlanta. Division rival, Atlanta Falcons. If Joe Brady leaves for Atlanta after being the guy who kind of... Because once Matt Rule was hired, the move for Joe Brady was made pretty quickly after that. It was like within a week after the national championship game last year when he was finishing up with LSU. Mm -hmm. Joe Brady comes in. And I love Joe Brady being on this team, but I'm saying we could get mad at him real quick. Joe Brady comes in. He is kind of the driving force behind forcing Cam Newton out. He's kind of the driving force between uh, about bringing Teddy Bridgewater in. He was on that Saints coaching staff when Teddy Bridgewater was still playing for the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. 
thought Teddy would fit the system. And then after a single year, after forcing Cam out, bringing Teddy Bridgewater in, tying up Teddy in a three-year contract, he jumps ship. Yeah. If all that happens, like that is setting up one of the greatest division rivalries going on for the next couple of years as long as Brady is in Atlanta, right? Like we have to hate Joe Brady if he ends up leaving this quickly after all of the lasting impact that he has made when it comes to roster construction in Carolina. I think the the more outside of the fan base, I think more of the resentment will come from the locker room. With a lot of those young players there would they're like well, you're going over there. We're going to see you twice. A- <laughs> we're, we're going to see you twice a year. Uh, you have people who are probably if you if the Panthers play this right, you have people in that locker room who are going to end up being locker room leaders, like Jeremy Chin, mm. uh, who going forward will probably preach specifically to his defense to make the Falcons look as bad as possible. If that's where he <laughs> he decides to go. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's a there's an argument there for it. For a lot of animosity towards Joe Brady, should he leave specifically for Atlanta? But if he leaves in general, you know, that's you you came in and made a lot of changes to that team. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't look like the future, but then again, it was Teddy Asswater. Yeah, yeah, my bad, <laughs> my bad, my bad, Carolina. Uh, he he doesn't look like the future, and he was your guy. And after after a year, you're gone. There, there, there's a good reason for Carolina fans to feel a little bit, uh, some type of way about that. If, going back in, in hindsight, because um, this was I hadn't even thought about this. This was brought to my attention by a Carolina Panthers fan friend of mine. Going back in hindsight, if you could rewind the clock 12 months, should we have seen the writing on the wall that – Joe Brady, because, dude, I was just as excited as anybody when Joe Brady came in. I was like, home run, knocked it out of the park. What a great hire at offensive coordinator. Should we have had the foresight to say, oh, wait, he's not going to be here very long? Because whether you think he deserves a head coaching job or not, and I personally don't think he's done nearly enough to warrant a head coaching job in the NFL. I don't want to get into the whole well, why are we talking to Joe Brady, but we're not talking to Eric Bieniemy, uh-huh. kind of thing? But I think the moral of the story is he's really young. He's the youngest coordinator in all of professional football this year. And he just wrapped up a season where he was the offensive coordinator for the number 27th ranked offense uh-huh. in the National Football League. Despite all of that, he's still getting, I think, recruited on potential. We should have had the foresight to know that. Okay, we're gonna bring him in. Maybe we shouldn't make him let a ton of, make a, let him make a ton of changes because the dude's bouncing the first opportunity he gets. But then, I mean, that, that's the that's the, the double edged sword because sure you don't let him make a bunch of changes. Then the excuse always is they weren't good. He left because they wouldn't make let him make the changes. If they would have actually treated him right, then we would still have Joe Brady here. But you see how that turns out. That's a good point. I mean, <laughs> That there's this is a lose lose situation yeah. for the Panthers. Um, even if you did think that he wouldn't be there long, I would have thought more than a season. If just because I would have at least thought he, like you say, the youngest coordinator in the league, play out Teddy Bridgewater's contract. If you see any type of growth from Teddy Bridgewater in that time, he can take credit for it and be out for a payday. Sure, but 
as it stands right now, like like you said, 27th ranked offense, and he is very much in line to be arming a team that could end up with Devontae Smith. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if he if he goes yeah. over there to the Falcons and you have Calvin Ridley and Devontae Smith on the same field, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what to do there. Uh, <laughs> and he he might look like he might look great uh, after that decision, but. If you are the Panthers and you're a Panthers fan, I get I get it. Yeah, that, that if Joe Brady bounces, like well, you have permission if you bump if you walk up to him on the street, you've got permission to just box him on the spot. <laughs> a little bit of the yeah, <laughs> at least get in his way a bit, you know. Yeah, because I mean, it seems like if if he's going to get a head coaching gig now, he's got exactly the same credentials. In fact, he was probably a hotter candidate of just being hired straight to a head coaching gig out of the OC position at LSU, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like he's necessarily added to that resume. He's just a year older. Mm-hmm. I guess there's something, too, like maybe he doesn't quite have as much of a baby face as he had before. But, yeah. you know, he's still pretty uh, wet behind the ears when it comes to, it, well, obviously any NFL coaching experience, but all coaching experience. Maybe they're looking at what how the Panthers players are responding to their own head coach. They're like, we want something like that. Wherever we are, I could I could imagine wanting it. I mean, McVay takes the team to the Super Bowl, and you're like, we we kind of want that. We want the everybody we, wants that. Everybody wants that, yeah. <laughs> and it's really hard to find. I just don't know if I don't know if I'm if I'm Joe Brady that this is the move I make already. But again, he could end up looking like a genius just based off of how the team he goes to drafts. This is the Sam Avila Show right here on 252 ESPN Radio. Von Casey hanging out with me here this afternoon. This segment, of course, being brought to you by Toyota of Newburn, 0% APR financing going on right now out at Toyota of Newburn. No payments until spring. So head out there and check out the new and pre-owned lineup. Let's keep it with the Panthers here for just a second. I've got to give credit for this idea to a guy I follow on Twitter. His name's Timothy Ray Brandon. Um, he's not very popular. This is no knock against him. He has a YouTube channel devoted to the Detroit Lions. Don't ask me why I follow him on Twitter. Painful I, existence. I, yeah, I know. I seriously. understand you. <laughs> That's a painful existence. I got to make my next YouTube channel it's just nothing but me crying. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to the Knicks a little we bit are. later. We're going to get to some NBA talk a little bit later here on the show. But he threw an idea out there over the weekend. And I'll just I'll just quote the tweet here. Um, so at T Brandon eighty four on Twitter, you can subscribe to his YouTube channel if you're a Detroit Lions fan and you want to suffer. He says, "Let's play a game. The NFL has added eight new teams. The expansion draft will allow each expansion team to select one player from the current thirty two. Each of the current thirty two can protect eight players." My question to you, Vaughn, and I, I sent this to you yesterday. Let's let's play this game from the idea of the Carolina Panthers. Not so much because I'm entertaining the idea of any sort of NFL expansion, but the Panthers are kind of in that fledgling stage of a franchise that we think over the next five or six years, especially way the way the other teams in this division are trending, where you've got a bunch of quarterbacks who are on the wrong side of 35, 36, or in the case of two of them, the wrong side of 42, yeah. <laughs> and Drew Brees and Tom Brady, <laughs> right? uh, there could be a window of opportunity opening up for the Carolina Panthers here to sort of seize control of this division for a while. If I told you 
there are only eight players and eight players only on this Carolina Panthers team that you can protect. Who may they be? So let's go through this one by one. Let's just go one through eight. And I actually ranked mine. Okay. I think you may be in agreement with me on this. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I know who you're going. And if it's not one for either of us, it's two for the other one. Mm-hmm. The number one guy that I am keeping, if I'm the Carolina Panthers, and I'm saying I'm starting from scratch, I can only keep eight players on this current roster. The number one guy that I'm keeping is defensive end Brian Burns. Oh. I okay. love so much okay. what I've seen out of Brian Burns so far. Seven sacks in mm-hmm. his first year. Stepped it up even more here in his second year. If I'm building the team, the first thing I think I want, even even if you're just letting me, outside of picking a quarterback, I want the game-breaking defensive end. I think about what J.J. Watt was in his prime. I think about what, let's say, what T.J. Watt has been doing Mm -hmm. for Pittsburgh right now. Um, I think about, as an Eagles fan, what I've seen flashes of of, uh, Derek Barnett be able to do. You think about all the great defensive ends in NFL history. These are guys that are truly difference makers. You think about the Bosa brothers right now. Brian Burns is the number one guy on this Panthers team. If I had to start anew and I could only have eight, first guy that's coming over with me mm-hmm. is Brian Burns. That's not that's not a bad way to go. That is not a bad way to go. Uh, I actually went uh, I went defense. And I thought it was going to be controversial. I I thought at least one of us would have uh, McCaffrey first. We'll get to uh, McCaffrey. We will get to McCaffrey. This is not blasphemy or anything. But I'm also not going with McCaffrey. I'm actually going with Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin. I just think there is so much potential. Jeremy Chin is second for me. Yeah. <laughs> that Panthers defense has the all the potential in the world. Mm-hmm. And when you can build on a defense in the NFL, do that. Like, Because right, right now, there aren't many good defenses that we can point to. They have the potential to be, within the next couple of years, Literally either number three, two, or one in best defenses if they just add a couple more pieces. Yeah, and Jeremy Chin, I mean, he's going to be right in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think he won three different Defensive Rookie of the Month awards. I think so. I know he won back-to-back in November and December. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finished the season 101 tackles. Two different touchdowns, two forced fumbles. And this is a kid that came out of Southern Illinois University. Come on. Okay, like FCS football. <laughs> yeah. The kid's got a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> he plays like it. Plays like it. That that's that's if if I have to say where do I want to start my team, might seem kinda old school to start with defense, but you're thinking the same way. I just want somebody who I if I can build around one position, mm-hmm. if I can build around one place, I want a guy who plays like that yeah to me i want everybody on my team to know that's the bar and he's he's old school like it's an old school way to build a team but jeremy chin is so new school when it comes to the type of defender he He is is. because you can stick him at either safety spot you can line him up in the nickel if you need to you can stick him outside guarding the best wide receiver if you need it you can pull him up and put him at the line of scrimmage you can put him at linebacker for god's sake you can play all 11 positions they have (laughs) him listed up here as a linebacker. Yes. <laughs> and he might have spent 25% of the season at linebacker. Maybe. The guy can play all over the field. It, it, you just need that. I'm curious, who'd you have at number two then? So I had Chin at number two. I had Burns one, Chin's t- Chin number two. I actually put DJ Moore at number two. Okay. Uh, 
not because I feel like he is more valuable than Christian McCaffrey. I just know I have those eight spots. Like if I had to, if I was, if I have those eight spots and I'm very pressed on what position I have to take them in, I know I can pick up McCaffrey's coming in that eight. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) McCaffrey's coming in that eight. But having a wide receiver to build a receiving core around. And he's young, too. Like, you got to take that into account. We're, we're putting this in the hypothetical idea yeah. of expansion draft. We can only protect eight. Youth comes into that. And that's what's the beauty of this Panthers team. There's a lot of youth. He, that, that's, that's, that's the way to build a receiving core. I'm looking at the Bills, and I'm like, that's how you build a team today, is let's go get receivers that complement each other. Right. And when you have a guy like Moore who – can blow the top over defense and is pretty good at route running. Yeah, uh, that's just that's just a good piece that you need that you need on a team. It's going to help any uh, quarterback that you put back there grow. I think you bringing up complementing other wide receivers is the perfect way to describe DJ Moore mm-hmm. because when you talk about everything he can do, he can almost mold himself to be whatever you need. I mean, yeah. think about last year, DJ Moore was the deep threat for Carolina. Mm-hmm. This year, Robbie Anderson comes in. He's the straight line, blow the top off the defense receiver. DJ Moore's like, cool, I can fill in everywhere. Catch else. underneath. He can catch underneath. I'll go he get can the run drag house. routes for days and yeah. be just as productive. He He's special. Yeah. And that's something that you're going to hear me repeat a lot because there's just so many players on this team that, if if you take them off of this team and put them somewhere else, they might be the second or third best player on a lot of other teams' <laughs> rosters uh, in the future. So, yeah, I'm going DJ Moore. All right. Well, I had um, number three. I went Derek Brown. Yeah. First first round pick, overall pick, number seven overall for the Carolina Panthers this last year. So if I if I'm protecting, I'm building defense first. If I've got eight guys and only eight guys I can carry over. Give me Brian Burns, give me Jeremy Chin, give me Derek Brown to just blow everything up in the middle. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden I feel like my defense is secure. I wasn't blown away at Derek Brown from a productivity standpoint this year. Mm-hmm. Only had two sacks. Really only ended up having 34 total tackles. Wasn't necessarily a full-time starter for this team. But when he was in there, the sheer size of this kid and the fact that still only 22 years old. Won't turn 23 until April 15th. Tax day. Great day to celebrate your birthday. Same birthday as my dad, actually. Nice. Shout, shout out, Dad. <laughs> um, six foot five, three hundred twenty-five pounds. That's one of those things you can't teach. When I watched him this year, can't teach big. No, you can't teach big. He's on the field. He's got two guys blocking him every single time. Yeah. What does that do? Well, it's what makes Brian Burns such a great pass rusher. <laughs> yeah. It's because now he's got one-on-one on him. Mm-hmm. I went DJ Moore number four for the exact same reasons that you were talking about. Gotcha. He's young. The dude's just a he's a he may not be the flashiest wide receiver in the NFL, but man, he's as solid as they come. Yeah, and you need that. You really do need that if you have the flashy wide receiver. You need somebody underneath that's gonna really help. Look at Cole Beasley. Yeah. You just you just really need that guy with sure hands. Yeah. And good route running skills. Yeah, and and DJ Moore is like Cole Beasley if he took steroids for a month. <laughs> yeah. You know, like <laughs> like he's, he's a monster. He's so much better. Um I'm going to say my next one, and then we'll see where you need to catch up. Number five, I went Taylor Moten. It's okay. been a long time since the Carolina Panthers have had a offensive lineman that mm-hmm. I actually trusted. I guess Jordan Gross may be the last one that I actually felt like I cared about. 
I went Taylor Moten for two reasons. Number one, he's really good. 26 years old, right tackle. Uh, graded out pro football focus this year as a top 10 right tackle in the NFL. you got to keep that guy. I'm putting him on this list in hopes that somebody in Carolina's organization hears this. Kid's in a contract year. Uh Priority number one, as soon as the new general manager comes to town and really just need to do it without a general manager, lock down Taylor Moten. You got this running game in Christian McCaffrey. You know what you need to do. You need to have a road grader on the right side. So my fifth guy I'm bringing over, if I can only keep eight for the Panthers, mm-hmm. Taylor Moten. Yeah, that's got to get an offensive lineman. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it, if, there's, if there's one thing you just need to build upon, it's uh, it's an offensive line. Uh Outside of outside of the defense, it it's 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 like it's vital right. to, to to keeping <laughs> yeah. to to your team. Uh, yeah, that's not bad. I, I like that. So I've gotten through five people. I've only got three spots remaining, and I have still not brought over Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. So I am going to go ahead and bring over Christian, Christian okay. McCaffrey on my. Uh, this will be number three for me. Number three. Number yeah. Three. So yeah. So give me a, give me a couple of yours here. Yeah. Yeah. So, man. I don't even know what you say about Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> we there's nothing all pro at two different positions. First person to ever do that. That's that, what you say about Christian McCaffrey. That's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Just a game breaker. You when if you need a play, and your quarterback doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, your quarterback doesn't have to have an arm at all. Just kind of flip the ball over to that little guy and watch him run. 50 yards down Your the quarterback field. literally does not have to have an arm. No. It's like he can just stand there and call for the snap. C-Mac step in and catch the ball for Go ahead. little stumpy QB you got yeah. back there. <laughs> He'll go far. He'll, He'll, go far. He will go far. That's that's really all you need. So I don't think any anybody out there needs any type of explanation. So as, as a quick aside here, you are not one of these people who is hitting the panic button on why did the Panthers pay Christian McCaffrey all this money. Even though, you know, of course, dramatic irony here, one year later, it's like, okay, well, we paid him all that money and we saw a season of zero production because of injuries. Yeah. No. Still not I, worried. Still, I'm not worried if you plan on building. He's only getting injured because he takes every snap. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't get hit that much if he doesn't have to play two different positions. I like the idea of a player that plays two different positions. I don't want them to have to play two. two right. If Jeremy Chin had to literally play DN and safety, I would have a problem. You know, <laughs> like right. so. If you plan on if I if I'm taking these eight players and I'm like I'm going to build. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm not letting. I'm taking. You can't let him go elsewhere. No, his 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 hits are coming dramatically down. Yes. in the type of offense I, I plan on playing with. And for what it's worth, I think this year the reason we didn't see more of Christian McCaffrey from say week ten and beyond is because they knew the season was going nowhere, and so there would be no advantage in necessarily bringing C Mac back mm-hmm. and risking further injury that would trickle into next year. Yeah, there, I, there just isn't really a point to it, to, to getting that guy hurt. Right. Yeah. And it resulted in a better draft pick. So yeah. we'll take a that. Much, <laughs> honestly, a banner year for for the Panthers. <laughs> Don't really have to get anybody uh, too hurt, and you end up, you're going to get a pretty good player. Yeah. I'm going with number four, Derek Brown. Like you Derek said, Brown. just when you're, when you're that big and – you do have talent. It just takes the right, uh, I think, either position coach or defensive coordinator in general to just step in and say, hey, this is what we're doing with you. Mm-hmm. I, I think 
that using him as a nose tackle, just letting him be a nose tackle is probably the best way to go because he's so disruptive. Right. I don't care what center he's going against in the league. You get somebody that big in front of you, that snap's going to look a bit funny at least once. <laughs> I compared Derek Brown. Not only does he just look like a gigantic bowling ball, but I mean, this is probably just a, a horrible analogy, but I just came off with I came up with it on the top of my head, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. You ever go bowling and you watch the people who are good at bowling and they can finesse the ball and it's got the curve and it mm-hmm. comes in the side and it's the perfect strike every time? And then you've got your friend that just goes and slings it in a straight line right down the middle, hits that front pin dead on. And everything falls. Everything explodes. There might be a pin or two. You know, you might have like the 7-11 split or whatever, seven ten split, whatever yeah. they call it. That's Derek Brown. Derek Brown is just... I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but at the beginning of the play, he's just going to blow everything up in the middle. Yeah, that's worth a lot. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. It's it's it because you're going against the best talent in the world. Mm-hmm. You need somebody who just sometimes, if you, if you watch like, if you watch his tape, you need somebody who just spazzes sometimes, yeah. and they're just <laughs> they're in the backfield now. Right. That's where that's where they are because they're just that big and mm-hmm. that good. It's like. It's what makes Aaron Donald special. You always that, think, yes, boom, great it's, example. It's what makes Aaron Donald special. It's just, okay, you held him up all game. He's in the backfield this play because he's just strong. Yeah, you always have to think about him. He's the space eater. Yeah, that's He'll be it's, there. It's, he's it's gonna, invaluable. He can eat three. If he ate three blocks on one play, somebody's getting to the quarterback. As big as he is, he might physically eat your lineman. Like, <laughs> he might. He might. man that thing. <laughs> you're lucky if, you're lucky if, if he doesn't perfect the technique that I think he needs to perfect of just pushing a center into a quarterback, mm-hmm. which I think would be make him one of the best D tackles in the league if he ever just decided to just start throwing centers. Uh, I, I'd be shocked. I'm, I'd be shocked in a couple of years if we're not looking at him like, wow, like, <laughs> like <laughs> all the production he could make. Yes. Uh, so that was that's four for that's you. Four. Man. Okay. So, so you've got you've got Jeremy Chin, you've mm-hmm. got DJ Moore. You've got Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. and Derek Brown. Mm-hmm. I've got Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown, DJ Moore, and then I took Taylor Moten at five. Uh, so who do you have at five? At five, I have Mr. Gross Matos. Yes. Yeah. Of course. I love Mr. Gross Matos. I w- he came in at seven for me. So gotcha. let's, yeah, let's let's go ahead and talk about him. Now I <laughs> love Brian Burns. Uh, I feel like he'll be the dominant DN on the field, but. For God's sake, if you if you need somebody to be consistent at containing the block, if you need somebody to just make sure that nothing really gets outside of them, there you go. You're not going to get to the quarterback every time, but all the little in loopy loop motion that people like to use nowadays isn't going to really work with a DN with the DN that I feel like Gross Matos could grow into. Yeah, and I think that's a big point of it is what he can grow into. Mm-hmm. Uh, they drafted him pretty much on potential and. That's why when I was like, okay, if I can build this team and start with only eight players, it was a no-brainer to take those three guys across the front. Yeah, You talk about what the, what kind of special defensive line the Panthers could turn into over the next couple of years where you could have a top five D-tackle in the league mm-hmm. and then two guys in the top ten at being able to get after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a problem? Just run a 3-4 defense where you can get – they always say, like, what's what's – 
what makes for a great defense? Well, being able to get after the quarterback with three. Normally, get after the quarterback with four. <laughs> if you right. can get after the quarterback right. with three, which is what you have real potential with, with that pincer movement that you can get from Burns and Gross Matos, mm-hmm. Brown up the middle. I think Matos' uh, sack numbers were kind of low this year. I think he only had two or three sacks, which kind of a limited role. I think Stephen Weatherly played the starting position for the most part this season, which makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm only going based off of what I think these players could turn into. Mm-hmm. If we're if this year's anything to go by, then Christian McCaffrey wouldn't be on my list. Like right. you know, if we're just going based <laughs> off of what people did this year, I don't think I don't want to take this year as gospel. I think that the talent that these these players could turn into is something to be excited about. So, yeah, that is my number five. Nice. I looked up Burns' numbers. He had nine sacks this year. That's so a good year. That's in his second season. He had seven last year, <laughs> nine in his second year. Yeah. Played with a broken hand for like four or five games last year and had seven sacks. Nine so. sacks is not a bad year at all. <laughs> that's uh, that's terrific. All right, so for me, I went six. I went McCaffrey. Uh, yeah. I was real on the fence of even if I wanted to bring McCaffrey over mm. because I am the person who is – cautious about how much more does Christian McCaffrey have in the tank. Mm-hmm. But I think this was just sort of one of those fluky years where injuries were sneaking up on them, and they realized they might win too many games if Christian McCaffrey comes back. Mm-hmm. Keep him rested. Let him train. Let him get healthy. So I'm bringing C-Mac over. Number eight, I was real on the fence. So I've got a, I've got an 8A and an 8B because okay. I took Gross Matos at uh, number seven. Mm-hmm. I was torn between Robbie Robbie Anderson, yeah, or Trey Boston, also also a good one, or Razzle Douglas, also a good one. So I was between the three guys. I think I hate Razzle Douglas because as an Eagles fan, he was poopy poop butt butt soup for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was much better. He graded out. I was looking at the numbers this morning. Number nine this year in Pro Football Focus's grades of all cornerbacks of all you know available cornerbacks. Sounds like there's a problem with the Eagles. Yeah, it's an Eagles problem. Trust me. It's definitely an Eagles problem. It's always an Eagles problem. Uh, Razzle Douglas, Trey Boston, Robbie Anderson. Real tough decision between the three. I'd probably, if I could only keep one, it'd be Razzle Douglas. Because I think Jeremy Chin can hold down the safety spot on his own. Yeah, <laughs> I'd go out there doing guys on defense honestly. if I had Jeremy Chin just patrolling center field for me. Um, but I think one of the biggest mistakes the Panthers ever made defensively um, personnel-wise over the last four or five years was the first time that they cut Trey Boston. Mm-hmm. I was very happy to see him make his way back to Carolina. The dude's just steady, Eddie, solid as can be. I'd mm-hmm. want Robbie Anderson because I think he's exciting, um, but I feel like I can find another Robbie Anderson out there. So there we go. I'll, I'll keep Rezul Douglas. That'll be my last guy. That's that's pretty good. That's, that's a that's a pretty good eight to start out with. If you're starting a franchise, you should expect big teams. i got a lot of team. defense, and then I have my right tackle, C-Mac, yeah. and DJ Moore. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what the Panthers are doing right yeah. now. It's like, hey, we're just building the defense, and we'll see what happens on offense. So I am at – this will be my number six. This will be number six for you. I actually am going with Robbie Anderson. Robbie, okay. Yeah. Just – if I compare him with DJ Moore, and they're, they're in the same position that the Cowboys were in before CD, where they're like, we're a – Really good third wide receiver away from having an elite core uh, of wide receivers because people people will hear that and be like, "Really, Panthers an elite core?" Yeah, yeah. You don't need much to have an elite wide receiver core. 
Uh, I I only go back to the Bills because they built. I've never seen a team build from the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. But when you're like, let's go get Stephon Diggs, let's go get Beasley, let's go get John Brown, let's go get John Brown, and we're going to make sure that all of those players fit together. You have two of the pieces right there. Where more is just clay. He can right. play anywhere of those three positions on the field. You have. Robbie Anderson, who seems to only know how to run down the field and get open. Yeah, he, he did can only run straight. Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> was a little bit better about that this year. But I mean, to your point, DJ Moore was 11th in the NFL in total receiving yards uh-huh. this year. Robbie Anderson was 15th. Like two guys inside the top 15 in total receiving yards. You for get the a lot. Turns out you get a lot more open if you have a third receiver there yeah. who can <laughs> who can make a little bit more space. I would. Really, really hope that that third receiver could possibly turn out to be one day Farrell Cooper because Havelock. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it might not work out that way. Right, but right. I just had to shout out Farrell Cooper. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. It's, it's, you played against Farrell. Did Farrell ever really embarrass you? Farrell Did Coop- you ever have a moment where like you were in the backfield and you were like, I got him. I, I'm about to sack Farrell I exactly Cooper. had that moment. And then he just – And that was the moment I was like, let's – go another route when it comes to football (laughs) nice he was a little fast he did that to a lot of people a little fast i was like all right let's let's take let's take a let's take a step off right there i don't even want to i don't even want to know what that kind of speed looks like yeah he's not even like the fastest guy in the world but to play in I say that and he's, he runs like a four or five or something like that. Oh gosh, I'm that, sure it's faster. Come than on, that that's even, a, yeah. it's amazing speed. Right, but to watch it in person is kind of scary, uh, especially when it's running the opposite direction you're trying to make him go. That would be sick if he could become like a reliable third. I would love that. Yeah. I would really, really. Love I still that. don't think they're going to pay Curtis Samuel this off season. I don't either, and I think you can find a Curtis Samuel mm-hmm. on the I market. I like Curtis Samuel. I'd be happy if he was back. Yeah. I think he's going to want more money than I'd be willing to give him. Mm-hmm. And that would be, yeah, Robbie Anderson's my my six. Okay. For seven, I am actually going to you those three that you were arguing over are who I'm going with. Trey Boston. Trey Boston. I love Trey I, Boston, man. I know he's a UNC guy, but I love him. Reliable. Really reliable back there. And I think that when you have a guy who didn't see, didn't set the world on fire in any of the years he has been there, if you could but has always been sturdy. If you can teach that to a Jeremy Chin to just be a sturdy player with yeah. all of the playmaking ability he has, I think you're looking at, at, at a, an all-star situation there because that's one thing that I, when I watch Jeremy Chin play, he doesn't have the same reckless abandon, but when it comes to playmaking, it reminds me of Troy Palomalu. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm like, yes. just you're very right. go out there and make a play anyway. Instinctual kind yeah. of, instead of you know playing within the scheme, which, I mean, Chin does play within the scheme, obviously, but... I laughed about this in the offseason. Uh, Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator, kept saying, we're going to be multiple. We're going to be multiple. Mm-hmm. And I kept kind of laughing at it. And then they drafted Jeremy Chin. And then you realize, well, what's the best way to be multiple? Have, like, literally – I remember – you probably remember this because you played more organized football than I did. I remember a lot of the defenses, like, when I played football in middle school. You wouldn't necessarily say you had a safety – you had a rover. Yeah. You know, just like, that, that's Jeremy Chin. He's, yeah. he's a rover. Rover positions don't really exist in the NFL, but Jeremy Chin's kind of bringing the rover to the NFL. He 
he's just out there to make a play bump. But the thing that reminds me the most of, of like a, of a Troy Palmer type is that the plays that don't make the highlight real mm-hmm. is what he does when nobody's throwing the ball down the field at him. Yeah. He may, he may, he's the reason they're not throwing the ball down the field at, <laughs> at him. You want to get me excited? Uh, let Jeremy Chin do one of those patented Troy Palomalu time the snap and dive over the line of scrimmage. Never hear the end of it. I'm just going to tell you, dude, like orgasm on the spot. <laughs> it, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> to Trey Boston's credit, you know what one of the things, um, like aesthetically, that is so great about Trey Boston and why I want him on my team? Why is, it? is there a cooler look for a safety than having the dreadlocks? And like, and, like, the huge dreadlocks? Like, uh, Trey Boston's one of those dudes who his dreadlocks are so long, I think he could walk out of the shower naked and he wouldn't be revealing any of the private parts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they, it hangs down that low. <laughs> and I'm talking about the hair, not the other yeah. stuff. <laughs> But the dude looks like the Tasmanian. So much is happening. I'm throwing a lot at you at once. So much is happening over there. I'm wound up today, man. But the dude, the dude looks like the Tasmanian devil when he's running around the field. Like you look up and uh, (laughs) here's another obscure reference. Did you ever watch the Tom Cruise Emily Blunt movie Edge of Tomorrow? Oh my god, yeah. You know the uh, like the bad guy alien things. They look like that. Look, that's what Trey Boston looks like when he's on the field. It's got it's like he's got tentacles flying out of his head. Yeah, I love the dreadlocks. Yeah. I want that in a safety. That, that gives you like five attribute points if you've got dreadlocks. <laughs> it should. Yeah. Powers in the hair. Uh, yeah. Boston, Boston, even outside of his uh, glorious hair, is actually a really good player. Yeah. Who, who, if, you're, if you are building a defense, in, what, what this year has shown me is you can build a team from any position. Uh, if you're building it from the safety position, not a bad two. Not a bad way to go. So yeah. you've got Jeremy Chin and Trey Boston. And I like what you brought up about while Trey Boston will never be remembered as a great NFL safety, in his era, the dude has just been consistent and reliable, like you said. Yeah. If you've got the young stud in Jeremy Chin, who better to just learn under than a guy like Trey Boston. And you're not going to deal with like an Earl Thomas situation where there's a contract dispute and mm-hmm. he forces his way out and he's unhappy. No, Trey Boston's going to be there as long as Carolina wants him to be. Mm-hmm. And so he can just sort of take Jeremy Chin under his wing, did some of that this year, can learn from him, and then you know, give it a year or two and Jeremy Chin's going to be teaching Trey Boston, who's six, seven years his senior, <laughs> plenty on his own. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, just a good, it's just a good way to go. And if they ever do get to that point where it's just – Trey Boston can trust that Jeremy Chin knows what he's doing over there while Trey Boston does his Trey Bo- or Trey Boston thing. It's gonna work. Right. It's gonna be it's gonna be a <laughs> lot of fun to watch, especially if this D line pro- progressive the way I think they can actually progress. So I'm going to take a bit of a swerve with number seven. Okay. A bit of a swerve for number seven. So if you're just joining us, uh by the way, hey, what's up everybody? Happy Wednesday. This is the Sam Avila show. Got Von Casey hanging out here with me this afternoon, and we are playing the hypothetical game of if you are the Carolina Panthers general manager. And that's a job that's open right now. So if you want to apply, uh, I'm sure there's an application portal on their website. <laughs> um if you were the Carolina Panthers general manager and there was an expansion draft in the NFL. And you could only protect eight players for the Carolina Panthers. Who would they be? We'll go back through the list real quickly. But, yeah, you're up to number seven now. I am. And this is only a bit of a swerve simply because I think it's one of the most underrated positions okay. in the NFL. Uh, even with the amount of all-stars that are currently playing the position. 
I'm going with Ian Thomas at tight end. Ian Thomas. Okay. Yes. Guy who only had one touchdown this year, but didn't have the most catches, only 145 yards, but it, Six four, dude's a blocker. He he's a blocker. Yeah, you he's need, a blocker. You do need that on a team. It's 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 when you can when you can put six guys out there who can block mm. for. I'm only I'm thinking about this in the way to construct the team. If I can put six guys out there who can block, and that includes my tight end, McCaffrey's not getting hit as much, right? And I need that. I need a big six four guy who can sometimes get free in the end zone for a touchdown. And I think what makes Thomas so special, because cause you're right, when you say tight end, especially in today's NFL, first thing you think about is like, okay, well, what are his numbers? Yeah. You know, and, and Ian Thomas isn't really a pass catcher. Mm-mm. He can, you know, if you're you're down there in the red zone, sure, he'll be there. You can lob it up to him if you really desperately need to. Carolina hasn't done that. They've got plenty of weapons elsewhere. Yeah. But what you need is somebody else who can help set the edge for your all-pro running back. Yes. And that's what Ian Thomas does. Ian Thomas, people forget – he was there for like two years while Greg Olson was there. Mm-hmm. What role was he serving? It was the, well, Greg Olson's going downfield. Ian, we need you to stay in here and help pass protect. That's, his, out. that's his role. He's an offensive lineman <laughs> yeah. that can occasionally go downfield. <laughs> Sounds perfect to me. And, it, and it's one of those little small pieces on a team that make a team work. Yeah, uh, it, Probably not the guy you think of when you think of talent that you would use to – talent that you would use if you were just going to be like I'm going to the Super Bowl get me Ian Thomas but if you're just saying this is the team I want to build right that's where I'm going because it helps Christian McCaffrey and everything that helps Christian McCaffrey is good for this it's good for this team really exactly one of those guys who gets none of the glory but uh if if you watch the game you can always go circle some certain plays and it's it's like wow so Christian McCaffrey just scampered for 36 yards down the sideline and you rewind the tape and the reason he was there is because there was a wall in front of him set up <laughs> right. by Ian Thomas and whatever trash left tackle that the Panthers had decided to trot out there that particular season. <laughs> yeah, that would be a position that would have to be addressed immediately. Yeah, I mean, Okung's old. I'm not a big Greg Little fan. Yeah. Me either. Where are you going with your last one? So, with my last one, as we get to the end of the road here, I'm actually going with Burns. Uh, I haven't haven't have, haven't put Burns on the list, yet. on the list yet. I was going to go with another dark horse like like Thomas, but you just I have to bring Burns it back to this stuck, team. Man. He's that defensive line. Not having all three of those defensive linemen yeah. on this team is a crime. He's a big Marvel movie fan. Got to <laughs> yes. meet Brian Burns two years ago when he was yeah. at Florida State. Huge Marvel movie fan. In fact, the whole entire interview we just talked Marvel movies. We didn't even really talk football. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that was good. Seems like those those D, D linemen that seem to just play like they're having fun tend to be the most fun to watch. Yeah, uh, I think of like Watkins, like all all of the really good D D linemen that I watched uh, usually just seem to be having a blast out there. Right. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But I'm bringing him back not because of his love for Marvel movies, but because there's not a tackle in the league that I could legitimately see not at least getting beat once by him right. in a game. So I think the the moral of the story here is we sort of work through this hypothetical is that the Panthers, from a youth movement standpoint and young potential, everything seems to be trending up still. I think both of us, when we went through our the eight guys that we would protect, the eight guys if we could start over and we could only keep them, uh, I think five of my guys were defenders. I went Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin. 
Derek Brown, uh, Yatur Gross Matos, and Razul Douglas. Yeah. The only three offensive players I had were DJ Moore, Taylor Moten, and Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. You sprinkled in some Ian Thomas, um, Trey Boston. I was real on the fence of wanting to bring Trey Boston over with me. Mm-hmm. Good time to be a Panthers fan. I mean, this? The, this was a tough season, but it's not like this season was it, – it's kind of a nice thing. Even though the Panthers low-key stunk this year, mm-hmm. you knew this season was going to – play out the way it did yeah and if that's the case can you be disappointed everybody told you including matt rule himself this is just going to be one of those years yeah and we walk out of it with some hope as far as one of those years go not a bad one of those not years, one of those years. <laughs> not, a really, not a bad one to have i mean you you it's not like this team needs an infusion of youth or anything like that it's right. not like they need more young players to just solidify an, an aging core that's usually the worst position to be on as a fan. Uh, <laughs> look at the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. who went to the Super Bowl and were not seen in the playoffs again until now when they got an infusion of you. Uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. This is this is a good time to be to be a Panthers fan. Good time to be a Panthers fan. Um, so let's do this. So this five o'clock hour, I want to remind everybody because it's just turned into the Sam Avil Show podcast here in the five o'clock hour. I want to remind everybody. <laughs> Uh, this segment, which is, I don't know, going on like 45, 46 minutes long, Beautiful. is being brought to you by Toyota of Newburn, proud sponsors of the Sam Avila Show. We're going to finish up here in just a second, Vaughn. I want to get to some of these George Hill tweets that you have been teasing me with off the air today. So yes. we'll sprinkle in a little bit of NBA here before we get off the air. But I want to remind everybody, going on right now at Toyota of Newburn. You can head to their location, Highway 70, just outside of James City, or you can head to Snapdragon Toy Store in downtown Newburn. You can also head to toyotaofnewburn.com. You will see colorable Yoda Bear sheets. That's right, a coloring sheet. Get yourself a coloring sheet. Give it to your kids. Fill it out yourself. If you're a grown man and you want to color in a Yoda Bear, I'm not going to judge you. But follow the instructions on the colorable sheet. Submit it into Toyota of Newburn. The instructions are right there. You'll get yourself entered in to win a $50 gift certificate to Snapdragon in downtown Newburn. Not only that, your colored in Yoda Bear will be the featured Yoda Bear for the month of February for the Toyota of Newburn ad. So how cool is that? That's uh, Toyota of Newburn. 0% APR financing also going on right now. Zero payments until spring. I wanted to have a bit of a longer NBA discussion with you. Maybe we'll be able to force that in there at some point this week. I want to get your thoughts on James Harden. I guess just giving up on the Rockets last night. Uh, (laughs) Kyrie Irving, I heard recklessly Mike Greenberg was uh, citing it all as a mental health issue this morning on his radio show for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I I don't know if it's that or if Kyrie just – Gave Ky- up on basketball in general. It seemed like Kyrie is treating it like a nine to five. Yeah, so it's kind of a job. So he's treating it like a job. He has his personal days off. He's taking them. It's like you know, some people. It's like it's, love- every month you get one and a half days off. Kyrie Irving's been saving them up. He right? saved them and he's taking them. <laughs> he's using them all at once. I, I have a lot of thoughts on Kyrie Irving. I, I generally uh, am confused by Kyrie Irving, but I support the antics. Okay, so. we will. Uh, we will get to some Kyrie, some Kyrie support. I'm glad you said that because that's what I wanted. I, I wanted you to try to spin it positively. Oh, it's positive for me. Perfect. We will get to some Kyrie Irving stuff tomorrow. Uh, also, a reminder: Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer. Carolina Panthers beat reporter going to join us tomorrow 
uh, on the phone. Maybe we can get his list of eight tomorrow. That might be a fun thing to do with him. The NBA is in a little bit of trouble right now. Ever since they've, it was great in the bubble, it's a disaster outside of the bubble. Mm-hmm. COVID is wiping through the NBA right now. Players are missing multitudes of games each and every single week. I have seen several games where a specific team only has eight players available to them, mm-hmm. which is the minimum number of players that you can have to participate in an NBA game. They laid out some new protocols yesterday, which included everything from wearing masks more often all the way down to not being able to dap each other up after free throws. Mm-hmm. George Hill, who is playing for who now? Uh, George Hill. I know Hill, he was with the Bucks last year. I don't know if he is still there or George not. George Hill currently plays with the, it seems like, the Thunder. The Thunder. That's okay, Thunder. that's right. Yeah, he, he took over the Chris Paul role. Mm-hmm. George Hill had some tweets that you found interesting regarding the new COVID protocols in the NBA. Okay, so these are quotes from, it seems like, an interview with George Hill. Uh, And this first tweet circulated Twitter a bit. Uh, And this is what he said, quote, I'm a grown man, so I'm going to do what I want to do. If I want to go see my family, then I'm going to go see my family. They can't tell me what I'm going to do. If it's that serious, maybe we shouldn't be playing. That was the that was the tweet that uh, circulated, and I understand why it's the soundbite because it gets as much heat as possible on George Hill. It makes him sound like the selfish athlete that people love to make athletes. <laughs> See, athletes yeah, be. I don't interpret it that way. I, I mean, don't. I, I, get, I don't either. Yeah, but the second this next one clarifies it. Okay, he says this is on specifically on the stricter uh, protocols that you were talking about. He said we want to play the game, but I don't understand some of the rules. We can sweat next to a guy for 48 minutes, but we can't talk to them afterwards. It makes no sense. <laughs> and I understand why that wasn't the quote. <laughs> because the NFL NBA might have some problems with that. Yeah. It's, well, that you know that, that goes pretty, pretty on par with a lot of the stuff that I laugh at mm-hmm. when I watch a lot of these events or these sports or whatever it is. I, I understand trying to mitigate the risks of spreading the virus. Mm-hmm. I get that. But there's just a whole heck of a lot of inconsistency. That's not. And you're making everybody wear masks, and, you know, and, but you look over on the sideline and people aren't actually wearing their masks and they're pulled down below their nose. It's like, well, you're not, if you don't have it over your nose, it's not, it's actually not doing anything. doing what, yeah. you know, the scientists say it's supposed to do. Honestly, what I love about that from George Hill is. It just seems like he's calling out some of the BS that a lot of people feel like it's politically incorrect or uncouth to call out with everything that's going on right now. And George Hill's just being an honest person saying, hey, this is kind of BS. Like, if if you guys are this scared, well, then maybe we just shouldn't be doing it, which is certainly a, a possibility that that's, I think could be considered. He's probably right. <laughs> yeah. It's probably – if we were really taking in the best – I wanted to, I want the NBA to keep playing. I also, but I get the point that if he's we, making. If we're not talking from sports fandom perspective, right? which sports fans were the ones – nobody. I didn't see anybody else attack what George Hill was saying other than sports fans. Yeah, right. People with their favorite team in their bio or their helmet or logo was their profile. Right. George Hill's right. <laughs> you probably we we probably should not be playing basketball right now. They're just, they're just just traveling way too much. It's it's. I mean, it, they. I don't understand. I, I guess if I was, I'd be so frustrated because and I think all the NBA players are frustrated right now, especially guys who had to participate in the bubble mm-hmm. because they didn't sign up for this. No, they didn't sign up to play all that time in the bubble and then turn around and have the basketball season start on Christmas. Mm-hmm. 
they're right back in it, and now they went through all the hoops. You know what I think it is? The NBA is not just coming straight out and saying, well, the reason we're playing is because we need to make money. If they would come out and say that and and just admit that they're not they don't care about player safety. They're doing it yet. for selfish reasons. It's, and I get that. And it's like it's but just say it. Just admit that it, like the reason we're doing these games is because you're trying to keep that bottom line afloat. Yeah, they're I think people are upset that the fact that one of the reasons I've always thought people dislike NBA players, especially since LeBron has come into the league and made uh player rights uh an issue. Yeah. It's because they're uh it's because they're workers with power. <laughs> they have a lot of power yeah. because they're the ones who make everything possible there. Right. And if they ever get in their head that why are we why why are we seriously playing basketball right now in the middle of a global pandemic? <laughs> like, they, how come we're on an airplane every other day traveling we, to a different part of the country? Does this seem like a good thing to do? Right. Like and if the NBA can can spend this whatever way they want, people Love the NBA for a myriad of reasons that of things the NBA does. I I personally have my own problems with the the NBA because any time that actually comes to standing up to their ideals, they're nowhere to be found. Uh, but <laughs> the, the the thing is, was it you that told me that like the NBA acts like they're so woke? But then there may have been somebody else that was telling me like NBA really acts like they're this woke woke league, but. When you step back and you they're look a, at it, they at the end of the day they're a corporation. They're just as corporate they're as just every a other cor- league that you hate. They're yeah. just <laughs> a corporation. They don't really stand up for when things really get tough. Right, they're nowhere to be found. Uh, and this is one of those times because if if we're going to talk about player safety, if we're going to talk about hey, we're going to mitigate risk, mm-hmm. let's talk about the people who have to clean the arenas afterwards. Yeah, like people who 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 came in, who aren't getting tested regularly because they. Aren't mil- millionaires or billionaires? They're not. Yeah. Those are people who have to come in and clean the bathrooms, clean the stalls, clean the little desk that everybody works at. They're equally as important to me. Yeah. If the NBA really wants to to talk about it, no, they would rather put on this facade, and that's what it seems like George Hill's getting at. And sport fans don't care because they want to watch basketball. They want to watch basketball. That's the bottom line of it, really. <laughs> Speaking of which, Charlotte Hornets in action taking on the Dallas Mavericks tonight at seven o'clock. <laughs> And, hey, how about this? We're getting ready to send you out. Uh, we're going to send you to Tallahassee, the NC State Wolfpack. Those college kids aren't even getting paid. But they're down in Tallahassee tonight getting ready to play a college <laughs> basketball game. Uh, ESPN Greenville listeners, you're probably already listening to the pregame right now. But tip-off is at 6.30. You can catch it. Uh, I think it's on the ACC Network. Don't quote me on that. Just You know how to find channels. Just go find the channel. Go find the game. NC State uh, taking on Florida State tonight. That's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Avila Show. If you missed any of it, the Sam Avila Show podcast, wherever you get your podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Sam Avila. Very easy. A-V is in Victor, O-L-I-S. He is Von Casey. Von's going to be back tomorrow. Vonk252 on Twitter at V-O-N-K-252 on the twitter.com. I've got a whole list of stuff that we didn't even get to today that I cannot wait to talk about tomorrow. Yeah. Also tomorrow on the show, Jonathan Alexander of the Charlotte Observer going to join us. We're going to talk a lot of Charlotte, not Charlotte, Carolina Panthers with Jonathan. Uh, should be fun. We did an hour commercial free. Thank you, Toyota of Newburn. Beautiful. Thank you, Vaughn. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. You're welcome, listeners. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on the Sam Avalis Show.